0: Who writes letters anymore, right? Today we write emails, or we, uh, you know, or we write posts, Facebook posts or tweets, 140 characters or less. But tell me, how many of you are, or how many of us, are printing those things out, tying them in bundles and putting them in a shoebox, so that one day, as you're sitting on the porch, you can open that box up and. Get some of those letters out and reread those precious messages from your loved ones. I have a shoebox that has some some letters that I received from Dawn from way back. They're love letters. That would tell part of the story of how God brought us together and, and gave us that love that we have. And I, I haven't really thought this all the way through, but I, I you know, I suppose that someday I should, I should pass those down in some form to our children because that's, that's really part of their heritage, right? If it weren't for the love that those letters speak of, I mean, Jonah, Elijah, Moyer wouldn't even exist. Now th- think how important the letters of the Bible are. If it weren't for some of these letters that God used Paul to write, for instance. I wonder how many of God's children wouldn't exist today. So here, here is one of the letters that Paul wrote under God's inspiration that is part of our heritage, that is part of the reason that you and I are here today. The letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now, let's rewind a little bit first and get the backstory. It was read to you in, in, in whole uh, a few moments ago, but let's just let's take you through a little bit the, the backstory of this letter, uh, of Paul's letter to the Philippians. We have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Um, they're traveling through... This is the second missionary journey of Paul. He's, he's gone on a shorter one, the first missionary journey, which is just around Asia Minor. And now this is the second journey where he's going to go through Asia Minor again, Turkey, and then God's going to call him. So, so they're traveling around Asia Minor, um, right, right in here, trying to preach the Gospel. And when they get to, when they get to uh, Troas, which is right there, and I'm gonna, we're going to zoom in a little bit. Hopefully that helps. When they get to Troas... God sends Paul a vision calling him to come and cross the Aegean Sea and take the gospel to Macedonia which is Greece okay so for the first time now the gospel is going to come to Europe it's going to cross the Aegean Sea and come to a whole new continent the continent of Europe and so they go as soon as they cross they 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 hit the island of Samothrace they come over here Philippi is the first city they get to. Now, Philippi, Philippi was a major metropolitan area. It was a, a very important Roman city. It was, it was a leading city of one of four political districts of Macedonia. And the majority of the inhabitants in Philippi were Roman, Roman citizens. And so they, they dressed like Romans, Here's, here's modern day, or here's what it looks like. Today. Here's the ruins of Philippi today. I don't know how much you can see there. They dressed like Romans. They, uh, they, they were proud of Roman things. They uh they they spoke Latin. They used Roman coins. And they were extremely proud of their Roman citizenship. You got the sense of that when we were reading through that that, that some of them got upset when Paul and, and his companions started preaching the gospel because they felt that that went against their Roman customs, that, that it, was, it was going against uh, who they were as Romans. And so that got them upset. So uh, Philippi was is it was, it was right along a major um, commercial route for the Roman Empire. So the city of Philippi um, was a city that was teeming with um, industry and an in intelligentsia of agriculturalists and artists. So when you have a city, it was a city so, um, so well populated and so um, filled with all kinds of things going on, it, it makes sense that a missionary church planter like Paul would want to go to a city like Philippi and preach the gospel there. And it's not altogether unlike Mississauga, right? Not altogether unlike Toronto. Important city. Leading city of its province. A lot of things going on. People coming from all over the world. Proud of their citizenship. Okay? Many opportunities for sharing the gospel. I think we can relate to the city of Philippi. All right, so so Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke arrive in Philippi. But when they get there, they find no Christian church there. They don't even find a Jewish synagogue, which normally, when he's in Asia Minor, he would always find a Jewish synagogue. He'd go there, find the Jews, explain to them the Old Testament and how Jesus has come and fulfilled that. They don't even find a Jewish synagogue, so they go outside the, the city, and what they basically find is a women's Bible study. And so Paul and his companions then start teaching those women who... Jesus was. One of those women was a woman named Lydia. Lydia was from Thyatira, which is in Asia. So Lydia was Asian. So I don't know if this picture is is very accurate or not. But she's from Thyatira, so she's Asian, but she also has a house in Philippi. And she was a seller of purple cloth. Now, Thyatira and Philippi were both major metro areas. And she has a house in each. And uh, she sells purple cloth. And the reason she has a house in each is probably because the people buying purple cloth from Lydia with how expensive it was and how hard it was to dye purple cloth in that time, that, in that place, um, those people were rich and probably royal. So when you think of Lydia, you need to think of someone who is basically running a fashion empire with homes in New York and Paris. That's Lydia. She had money. But she was also a worshiper of God. Which means she had rejected the pagan idea that there were all these uh, other gods out there. She believed in one true God. Thing is, though, she didn't know about Jesus. She didn't have an answer for her sins. She didn't have an answer for her, her failures before God. And so Paul and his companions show up to this women's Bible study and they get to teach them and explain to them that God gave us his law to show us how far we have fallen short of it, to to show us how far we have fallen short of the glory of God. And then he's given us righteousness through Jesus. He's made us right with God through Jesus' work on the cross and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe in Jesus. And... She and her family were baptized. They were brought to faith in Christ. And then she invited Paul and his companions to stay at her house, which was probably a pretty nice house. And then I like, it's almost like a little bit of sarcasm there from Luke. And she persuaded us. I don't think it was that hard, right? I mean, they've slept on rocks. They've slept, you know, outside. They've been beaten and tortured. I think staying a night at Lydia's Pad was probably a nice little refreshing break. So Lydia, she's the first one they meet in Philippi. Then uh, the next person they meet, uh, that Paul and his companions meet, is a slave girl. We don't even know her name. She was living in poverty. She was enslaved, uh, both by her owners and by by a a spirit, an evil spirit that was enslaving her. And she was also being exploited because her owners were were making money off her gift to tell the future. So they they were exploiting her. Um, So she starts following Paul and his companions around, these missionaries around, and screaming and being disruptive. And finally Paul turns around and casts that demon out in the name of Jesus. And so finally this slave girl, this demonic slave girl, finds the salvation that she has been demonically mocking. But that ends up getting our missionaries in trouble. And that ends up getting them thrown in jail where they meet... A jailer. Now, the jailer was probably, going by the history of those times and parts and places, the jailer was probably an ex Roman soldier, a blue collar worker who now was tasked with keeping Paul and Silas safely locked up. But it seems like maybe he took his job, you know, uh, he had a little bit more fun than he, than he was supposed to with his job. He, he fastens them into the stocks. And um, don't just think those silly stocks that you get your picture taken with in, in tourist areas. Roman stocks would, would put you on the floor and stretch your body out in ways that are very uncomfortable and uh, would cause your body to cramp and inflict excruciating pain. Remember, these are Romans. All right, so this is not a lot of fun. So basically, the jailer was someone who tortured people for a living. But on this night... On this night, he's going to encounter something new. Because these two men, Paul and Silas, that he put in prison in these painful stocks, what are they doing? They're singing, they're praying, and they're singing hymns. They're still smiling. They're still in joy. So that's got to get him wondering. And then at midnight, this huge earthquake comes, uh, blows open the the jail doors, The, the chains come off all of the prisoners, and everyone is free. So the jailer instantly gets ready to kill himself to deprive his bosses of the honor in the morning. But even though they could have escaped, even though they could have taken revenge, maybe ganged up and done something nasty to him, the missionaries stayed around. They waited there to share the gospel with the jailer. And the jailer was blown away. And that very night he and his family were baptized. And they came to faith in Jesus. So that is how the church at, the, at Philippi, at Philippi, that's how the Philippian church began. Okay? A, a, a wealthy Asian fashion mogul businesswoman, a Greek, demon possessed slave girl and a Roman blue-collar jailer. Not exactly your church-planting dream team. And, and uh, you know, no offense, but it kind of reminds me of, of when I got here 15 years ago in Mississauga. You know, some of you, a couple of you were here, but, you know, we had... It was an eclectic, like a very varied and different little tiny little group of people that we had gathered here. But, you know, the Holy Spirit works... In strange ways. And and he redeems the unlikeliest and most diverse of people. So this look at what the gospel can do and whom the gospel can bring together. Jesus takes strangers. Strangers who are very different from each other and makes them into family. So that's how the Philippian church begins. Jesus takes strangers and makes them into a family. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, Um, I think we would all have to admit that we prefer to do life with people who are similar to us, that we're more comfortable, we we more often associate with people who, who look like we do and who act like we do. This is the natural tendency for all people, but the gospel isn't natural. The gospel isn't natural at all. And so as we, as we see in the odd beginnings of the Philippian church and as we see in the odd beginnings of our own church, the gospel blows away barriers and, and it creates a whole new community that could never have been formed without it, that could never have brought us together without that. Out there in the world, you don't see um, rich, uh, wealthy businesswomen hanging out with... Um, blue-collar ex-military types. You don't see liberals associating with conservatives. You don't see um, partners in, in accounting firms and owners of pizza stores and bankers associating with um, students and unemployed and elderly. But in here you do. In a community created by the gospel, you do. The gospel creates a, a new reality that gives us a deeper understanding of the world and of our place in it. And so as Paul remembers the the powerful conversions of these dear friends of his in Philippi, he he wants to remind them how important it is to grow in Christ every day. Whether that you are rich or poor, these are the themes we're going to get into in this letter, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're healthy or sick, whether you're free or it's sitting in prison. And Paul wanted to lead them to shine like stars as they hold out the word of life in their community around them. And and just as Paul's memories of that church in Philippi go all the way back to his first night in Philippi when he was in jail there in Philippi in, in painful stocks, those weren't just memories because here's the really cool thing about this letter. Paul was writing this letter to his friends in Philippi From a jail cell. For the next eight weeks, you're going to hear the word joy, 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 joy. How happy, how filled with joy Paul is. That is the theme that runs through Philippians. And the guy's writing it on the cold, wet, stinky floor of a jail cell in Rome. This letter. He's not, don't picture the, the nice sunny room with the birds flying by and, you know, Paul thinking positive thoughts. He is in the darkness of a jail cell writing about this joy he has. Paul's in prison in Rome. So let's get into the letter. We read verse one. We know who's writing it. Verse two Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul started a lot of letters like that. Grace and peace. Grace is undeserved love. The undeserved love we have, this love right here, love from Jesus. Peace is the result of grace. Because of God's grace, our lives are filled with peace. Alright? I thank my God, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. So every time I think of you, I am thanking God. Whenever I'm thinking of you, I'm thanking God. No doubt for his powerful work in the heart and life of Lydia, of that slave girl, of that jailer. jailer. But not only that, this congregation had just gathered, put together a huge, generous gift offering to fund the work of the gospel. And now Paul, sitting in prison in Rome, they sent it to him. They sent a man named Epaphroditus to bring that gift offering all the way to Rome to give it to Paul and then to assist him while he was there to be his helper, to assist him while he's in jail. And... Um, Now, Epaphroditus is the one bringing this letter back to the church at Philippi. So this letter, Philippians. Philippians is different from all the other letters. We've gone through a couple here. Colossians, uh, Galatians, um, and you know the others, you know, Ephesians, Philippians, and then the really bad one, Corinthians. Um, All those letters, all of those letters have something negative, like, Galatians, you know, the people had given up the gospel. You foolish Galatians. And, and Paul goes at them because they were, they were giving up the gospel for work righteousness instead. Or the Corinthian church, tell me, tell me what they weren't doing. Um, they, you know, sitting sexually, uh, just throwing worship into a confusion. They, they were breaking every, every law of God you can imagine. So all these letters, Paul's like correcting behavior, um, pointing out what's negative, fixing problems in these churches, not Philippians. Philippians, more or less, more or less, there's nothing Negative in this book. This is just. Here's why I'm filled with joy, because here's what God is doing in your life. And so, uh, for the most part, Philippians, we're looking at mature believers who are who are living out their faith in Christ. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have some growth for them, and, and there is some little things, but for the most part, just filled Paul with joy um, for their growth. Verse four. Verse four. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your... Well, Sorry, let's stop there. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Whenever Paul prayed for the Philippians, he prayed with joy. So, so they gave him reason to be happy in prison. So he's sitting in prison writing a letter. And, he's, and he's, they gave him reason to be happy while he's in prison writing that letter. Um, just like they gave him reason to be happy so many years ago when he was sitting in in Philippi in prison, in stocks, not writing a letter because he doesn't have his hands. But he was happy, and so what is he doing? He's singing hymns, and he's praying, and he's converting people in prison. So twice now, while in prison, these Philippians are filling Paul with joy. Why? Why did Paul pray with joy? Well, we're going to get some reasons, aren't we? Verse 5, because of... Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Number one reason why Paul is filled with joy. Paul wasn't alone in this. They were partners together. So, so Paul had joy because he didn't see himself as the lonely missionary who was manning the front lines by himself. They had this beautiful partnership in the gospel. Partnership with these dear believers in Philippi. They made it possible for Paul to do what he was doing. Not, I mean, with their money, first of all, but with their prayers, with their gifts, with their help. They were in this together as partners. It's so important for us to express this unity we have, this partnership that we have. Christians long to be with one another. And we have a partnership here. And we need to appreciate, let, let's, let's, let's appreciate this partnership we have i mean i'm not in prison like a thousand miles away we get to just we get to be here none of us are in prison you know we're here um with the opportunity to share the gospel with the opportunity to make a difference out there to to let god's light shine out of our lives we're we live in a free country where yeah, it's getting harder and harder maybe to be a Christian in, in some ways, but we're, we're free to practice our faith. We're free to share that message. And, and, and we have this partnership, and we have, we have th- these blessings. Let's appreciate this partnership we have. And that means let's be here. I know it was August last week, but we had 43 people here. All right, so that's fine. It's a new year, it's a new season, let's be here. Let's be here in worship. Let's be here in Bible study. We're a family. You're someone that gives me joy as I lay in bed at night when I wake up in the morning. And I think you guys do that for each other here. We're partners. We're family. We're a team. It doesn't work alone. So let's 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 show that we appreciate that partnership we have. I mean, we the blessings we could go on and on. I don't think you want me to talk that long about this, the, how many blessings we have as a partnership, just here at Cross of Life. Um, the the examples I've seen of you guys being there for each other when 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 it, when it's needed, um, helping each other out, lifting people uh, up, um, and and some of you coming to know Jesus through. The work, the efforts, the the witness of each other, the, the blessings we have here, the partnership we have here, just our little church at Philippi here, our little church at Mississauga, our partnership, blessing upon blessing. Now, if we want to blow that map back out again um, and then just start thinking about the blessings we also have as part of a synod, part of Wells, Wells Canada. So, now, we're not just part of 140 uh, souls here in Mississauga, but we're part of 30,0, 400,000 people around the world who share your same faith, who um, put money in that same offering plate that all goes into one collective pot and funds ministries like our own right here, who pray for each other, who who enable men and women to do ministry, Who um, who go across the world to share the gospel, who set up training schools to train more people to go out and share the, the, the gospel, who publish things to, to help us grow and on and on. We have, so we're, we're a partnership of 140 here in, in Mississauga, but we're a massive partnership around the world. And, and it's a beautiful thing. Let's, let's appreciate that partnership. That, that's, that is a reason to give us joy. Verse 6 being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So uh, the goal that we have in front of us is not our first million. It's not retirement. It's not even death. Our goal is the day of Jesus' return. That's our goal. That should be the thing out in front of you as your goal, as as the thing we're living for. Because we don't know about the rest, but we know that's going to happen. That's the one thing we can count on happening. So that's our goal. And that, uh, that gives us a whole new reality and a whole new lens and filter by which to approach life when that is what we're looking forward to. And there's an important truth here. God beginning a work is a promise that it will get done. So when God has begun something in your life, in the life of our church, when when God begins a good work, that is a pledge, that is a guarantee, that is a promise that that will get done. That brings joy, doesn't it? Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, the Greek can either read, I have you in my heart, or you have me in your heart. So the bottom line is, we hold each other in our hearts. The pastor that holds his people in his heart will probably find that they are holding him in their hearts, and vice versa. We hold each other in our hearts. This is a a deeper bond than uh, we live on the same street, or we like the same team. Um, Look at the next verse, verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So I don't just like you and, I, and you probably don't just like me because, uh, because you're nice to me, because you make me laugh, or maybe you give me stuff or I give you stuff. But because of the love and affection that Jesus has given us. okay, The affection of Jesus took him to the cross. That is deep affection. And you and I then love one another with the affection of Jesus. So this isn't a surface thing. This is something in the hearts. This is something we are holding each other in our hearts with the affection of Jesus. Paul isn't just saying some words here. He was there. He's talking about Lydia. He's talking about the slave girl. He's talking about the jailer. He, he's talking about these people that he knew. When, when he says that he always prays with joy and he thanks God whenever I remember you, these are the people he remembers. Okay? like How are they doing? Um, what, what great things for the, the gospel has Lydia done with her wealth? Um, how is the slave girl doing? How did her life turn out? We don't know. How, how, did that, how did it turn out? Or how's the jailer and his family coming along? We're, you know, Still faithful? Still a little rough around the edges? How's he doing? Paul loves these people. He knows them. He won their souls for Jesus. He baptized them. He, he was the tool the Holy Spirit used to share Jesus with them. And so he is forever connected to them. And so... He wanted them to grow. He wanted them to grow. So now, it's not all... Like, he's going to encourage them now as a loving father, as a parent would. He's going to encourage them to grow. We baptized Fia this morning. What an awesome, you know, awesome event. We'll never forget it. And uh, what a cute little baby Fia is. Just tiny, cute little baby. All right? Um, But how cute would it be how cute would she be if when she's like 8 or 9 years old, she still needs her diapers changed? Or if when she's like 10 or 11, she's still not able to dress herself? Or, or she's still using baby talk and not real words when she's like 11 or 12? What if she never grew up? Now, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be as cute, would it, right? As Christians... So think about that now in the spiritual realm. As Christians, we need to grow. Not so cute if we stay in our infant form of faith, right? We need to grow in our faith. We need to grow. We need to be growing in our faith. The Philippians, even the Philippians, needed to grow in their faith. So that is Paul's prayer for them, that they keep growing. So, um, so, Fia got baptized this morning. The Holy Spirit has given her faith in Jesus. She's a child of God. But now, Fia needs to grow in her faith all the way through her life, just like you and I do. Okay, so Paul's prayer for these new and young believers is that they would grow. Verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So we need to grow in knowledge. What does God's word say? Um, We're a partnership in the gospel. Here's a couple ways that we're going to help you grow in knowledge. Number one, if you're new here, there's growing in hope. It's a 10 to 16 lesson course that just gets the basics of here's what the Bible says. If you haven't done it, do it. Some of you are in here already doing it. Um, let's get into that. We've got to grow in knowledge. I want to know who my God is. When Fia is old enough to learn and speak and stuff, we're going to start teaching her who Jesus is. All right? All of us need to grow in knowledge. Now, if you've been through Growing in Hope, you're already maybe a communicant member here and you've gone to some other things, we, order, we have another one called Growing in Leadership. We're going to start that up as soon as we can get it started. And this is, now we're going to dig through the whole Bible and we're going to give you homework. And you're going to dig further uh, into the depths of God's word. So we need to grow in knowledge. Every one of us is, is on some continuum, somewhere along the way that we need to be growing. So if you've done one thing, good, great for you. Let's keep growing. Uh, I've gone through all those things a hundred times, graduated from a seminary, but every morning when I wake up, I go down, I open my Bible because I need to grow. I have a lot to learn. All right? The second thing is we need to grow in, it says, depth of insight. Another way to say that would be um, we need to grow in spiritual perceptiveness. So, so here's, it's, it's how you live. You're not just thinking about yourself, um, but you're applying the gospel to your life and the lives of others. You, you're, you're thinking about others. Um, we need to grow in how we act and how we live. We need... We need to understand that, that everything we do affects others. You guys are mentors, examples. People are watching you. And so it's not just your growth for your own sake. It's your growth for how you're going to help others around you. That's how a partnership works. And so we need to grow in our depth of insight, in our spiritual uh, perceptiveness to, to be able to perceive how we can help others around us as well. Um, we, offer small, we encourage small groups. This is where we get together and study the Bible in groups where we can help each other out, where we can deal with needs, apply God's Word to each other's lives, get into one. So important. That is going to help us grow in those ways. Verse 10, So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So here's another area we must grow. We need to be able to discern what is truly valuable. We need to be able to discern what is more, worth more than all the other things in life. Um, not just what is bad, but what is the best among the things that are good. Think, think about all the countless decisions every day that you and I make about how we're going to be entertained, how, what we're going to fill our minds and our hearts with, how we're going to spend our time compared to the priority we put on our souls in, in worship and Bible study. So friends, we need to grow in, in discernment, what is valuable. So don't, don't ask, is, is there no harm in this? But, but ask, is there any good in it? And by the way, which one is the best? So as we, as we figure out how we spend time and what we fill our lives up with, we need to grow and grow in our areas of discerning what will actually be helpful and better for us than just what won't harm us, Right? And finally, verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the end goal that Paul prayed for the Philippians, that they produce fruit of righteousness to the glory of God. Now, the word glory means splendor or brightness. So Paul was praying that the Philippians would shine like stars, that these believers in Jesus would shine like stars as they shared the light of God in their city, so that others would see the light of God, to the glory of God. And, and we're going to see that theme come up throughout this letter, that they would shine like stars in the area around them. Now, in, in his younger days, the the, the composer Franz Joseph Haydn was uh, he was often criticized because his music was too lighthearted, it was too joyful in the 1750s, music was very somber. But here's what Haydn said. He said, I can't help it. I give forth what is in me. When I think of God, my heart is so full of joy that the notes fly off as from a spindle. I have a cheerful heart because God has pardoned me. Shortly before he died, very weak and in a wheelchair, Haydn attended the Vienna Music Hall where, he, where they were performing his oratorio, The Creation. And, and when, the orchestra, um, when the orchestra got to the passage, let there be light, the music, the orchestra, burst forth, that, that music and sound burst forth from them in such power that the audience could no longer even restrain their enthusiasm and the whole huge assembly arose as one, And stood on their feet and applauded. And Haydn struggled to his feet. He motioned for silence. He said, Not me. And he pointed his finger to heaven and then fell back into his wheelchair. With all his life and all the gifts that God has given him, Haydn gave praise to the Almighty God. And it gave him joy to do so. Paul prayed with joy whenever he thought about what God had done in and through the lives of these Philippians. And I pray with joy whenever I think of you. Why? Here's why I pray with joy. Number one, I'm not alone. We're in this together. We have a partnership in the gospel. Number two, when God begins a good work, that is a promise that it will be brought to completion. And number three, you are all blood-bought souls who have been redeemed by Jesus from your sin and unbelief and been made citizens, not of Rome, citizens of heaven. And now you shine like stars in the community around you as you live and share that new life that you've been given. And that is why I pray with joy. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, amen.